Now you apologize to Jules right now. Jules, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that mine is 20 seconds ahead of everyone else's. <laughs> All right, let's do a clap in three, two, one. My clap was also 20 seconds ahead. Uh, you're in the future, baby. Hello, this is the Android Police Podcast recorded July 28th, 2022. Hope you are all doing well on this very busy late summer. Is it late summer? It's midsummer. It's midsummer afternoon. It's midsummer, but it feels like late. It does, actually. That's true. Y'all wish it was late summer. This is mid right now. We still have a lot to go. I mean, you are much further south. For Will and I, who are in the northern parts of the U.S. slash southern parts, parts of, Canada, of the world is, that actually is, get four seasons. Yeah. It is late summer, unfortunately. Um, anyway, we got a lot to talk about this week, so we're going to jump right in. Will, Ara, hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. good. You're fine. You're great. All right. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff to get through. We're going to talk Pixel 6a again. We're going to revisit the review. We're going to talk Pixel Buds Pro the reviews just went live today. We can talk Asus Zenfone 9 a little bit. Jules is not here, but he wrote the review. So hi, Jules. He liked it. A lot of other people really liked it. We're going to talk about Google's plan to get rid of cookies is delayed again. Google introduced a bunch of new developer rules for the Play Store. A lot of really good things for consumers here. So Will is going to go over those. And then Ara is in heaven. We got inundated with Chrome OS <laughs> updates here. So we got a bunch to go through on that, including a video editor in Google Photos that's exclusively debuting on Chrome OS sometime later this year. It's Why? not exclusive. No, 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 it is exclusive. Oh, at the, the Google Photos one. Yeah. It's just weird. It's just a weird announcement. There's a lot of stuff. We're going to do a hardware. Well, I mean, I, I kept saying a hardware sandwich, but the Chrome OS stuff is kind of hardware slash software. So it's 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 more like a smoothie. Let's just call it a hardware <laughs> software smoothie today. And we'll start with Pixel Buds Pro. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a pair of them. Taylor, who is not here, uh, he used to co-host the show, but uh, he's too busy reviewing earbuds now. To uh, <laughs> He's too important for us, basically. He gave it a 9 out of 10 at a most wanted award. A lot of the reviews, Will, mm-hmm. are super, super positive and yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've been using them for a couple of days. I don't really have my thoughts fully fleshed out yet, but they are by far the most solid earbuds that Google has produced so far. Unfortunately, that's not really saying much. I was going to say, I can't decide if that's like a a high bar or not, because I know it's it's not. The A series was good, but like, I, I feel like that's it. It's taken a while to get to like, yeah, these are good. It's taken, I mean, like realistically, like four generations if we're counting the original don't count the wired ones i think the they count everyone count. i mean i mean true. they're so bad those yeah, were but they count. so but those bad. were not true wireless earbuds yeah, those but were everyone else had true buds. wireless earbuds at that time google was just behind i mean they didn't though if you think about 2018 when those were revealed right like sure a lot of companies did but it had only been a couple of years since true wireless earbuds had really hit the mainstream with the AirPods. Yeah, I, I had my Jabra Elite 65Ts at that time. Like, I, mm-hmm. I just feel like they could have yeah. done it if they wanted to. I mean, th- I'm glad they didn't because their first go around was, was pretty bad. bad. And that was two years later. Yeah. So if they'd released the Pixel Buds in 2018, it would have been a disaster. Anyway, here's what we get with the Pixel Buds Pro, right? You get improved sound quality from like just bigger drivers, more custom drivers. Mm-hmm. You get active noise cancellation. 
You get a proper transparency mode. You get longer battery life. You get seven hours on ANC yeah, and 11 great. hours without ANC, which is excellent. You get, obviously, Hey G support. You get the really fantastic gesture controls that debuted on the Pixel Buds. You get some of these sort of smart features that uh, are enabled by Google Assistant, like Translate, some interesting stuff around what Google calls like just overall ambient intelligence. So, you know, being able to kind of do more with your earbuds without touching your phone. A lot of that is powered through Google Assistant, but there are some things that Google left out this year. There's no base boost, for instance, which I guess is not a big deal because these are, are pretty basic on their own. There's no adaptive sound, so you don't get the ability for volume to increase and decrease depending on your ambient environment, which I think is because ANC is there. And uh, weirdly, you don't get any of those, I forget what they're called, but they're the feature that like detects babies crying and dogs barking. It was at the tip of my tongue earlier, but I, I, I've forgotten. What you do get though is this silent seal feature that basically adapts the active noise canceling to how the earbuds fit in your ear, which is supposed to relieve the pressure I can't really say I've noticed that in practice. In fact, these are the least comfortable Pixel Buds I've used. Don't I, I, tell I know that's, me that. I know that that's a that does, does not seem to be the common refrain. But the Pixel Buds and the Pixel Buds A series, for all of their limitations and faults, are extremely comfortable. Like to the point where I forget they're even in my ear. These ones, they're a little bigger to accommodate the bigger drivers. They elongate a little bit more, so they stick out your ear, but they just don't fit in my ear canal as comfortably as the Pixel Buds A-Series do. So kind of a knock on that. Everything else, though, really does seem like it is considerably better uh, and will compete really nicely with any competitor out there, from like Jabra to the upcoming Galaxy Buds 2 Pro to, I don't know, the AirPods Pro, to the Liberty Sound, uh, Soundcore Liberty 3 Pro. Like, there's so many different earbuds from all these different companies. But Ara, I know you don't have them, but what's your take so far on, on what, what people are saying on this? Yeah, I, I don't have them yet, and I'm very much blaming Amazon for that because if something is releasing on that day, it should be arriving on that day if you pre-ordered. I'm happy to hear all the things about sound quality. I'm still a little on the fence because of, as many reviews have mentioned, we don't see LC3 on here yet, and this doesn't have LDAC. So that gives me pause because since LC3 is an Android 13 feature, uh, is an LC, is uh, Android 13 is required for it for most phones at this point. We don't have anything to test and make sure that it's there on because it isn't enabled in the Android 13 beta on any of the existing Pixel devices. I'm feeling kind of iffy on that, but mostly your what you just said about fit just made me go absolutely cold. <laughs> Cause I specifically like okay, I I specifically bought these through Amazon because I'm like I there's a fair chance I return these if they don't fit in my ears. And Google Store is just not as good about returns as Amazon is. But yeah, I uh question: Do these fit worse or better than the Sony XM4s in your ears? I don't have the XM4s. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. It's like I'm the also only... surprised by this. I've seen your I know, bucket. it's true. <laughs> it's it, I do have a bucket. I've been holding off buying the XM4s in hopes of getting them on sale. Mm. But even over uh, Prime Day, they were 
They were still too expensive for me to justify buying them. How did I get to review them if you didn't have them? I would have thought for sure those would go to you. Yeah, no, it, uh, Sony US doesn't like to ship to Canada. It's oh. been a, a oh. whole thing. I was supposed to get the XM5. They didn't want to ship to Canada. Anyway, not a big deal. Not This is bad radio, but I do <laughs> want to just point out a couple of things that people are going to want to know, right? Mm-hmm. Is the ANC good? The answer is yes, but. So if you have a pair of Galaxy Buds Pro, if you have a pair of Jabra Elite 85T, if you have a pair of AirPods Pro, the ANC here is not as good. It's fine. It does the job, but it is just under the quality level of the best of the best, right? It's about it's a 6.57 out of 10. It does really work on like low hum style background noise, right? Air conditioners, traffic, things like that. It's not like a full spectrum ANC the way that it is on Sony or, or Bose. And those have just been like tuned far better. They're a little bit more powerful. And like still like Sony will will obviously be the ones to compare this to, right? Like the XM4s, they're considered some of the best. Bose's um, noise canceling, what are they called? The and noise canceling earbuds. I forget the exact name, but they're they're still like by far better than this. But this has ANC. It's not being sold on the existence of ANC, okay? What else? The transparency mode, again, it's good. It's not nearly as good as the AirPods Pro. It's not nearly as good as the Jabra Elite 7 Pro. It's like Samsung level good, which in my opinion is pretty mediocre. So again, there is a transparency mode here, which is fantastic. It's just not great. Yeah. How are the touch controls? So the touch controls are my favorite part of this. They are perfect. Like volume, play pause, skip track, change between modes. Like they are the best gesture controls I've ever used. Like the fact that you can safely and predictably increase and decrease volume on this is just like mind blowing given the difficulties a company like Samsung has in in, in doing the same thing with gesture controls. Or even Sony. Volume controls on the Sony I hate because you either turn it up too much or you turn it down too much. Yeah, I, I can't speak to that, but I do know that Samsung, its gesture controls are terrible and I hate using them. I often get accidental presses when I'm putting the earbuds in my ear or like adjusting them. And that just doesn't happen here. Google is really good about identifying the areas where that are supposed to be touch sensitive and, and those that aren't. Okay. So yeah, this is a really good feature. Uh, battery life, I think is fantastic, right? Seven hours with ANC on, that's more That's than amazing. enough for me. And, and given that, like, mo- like I'm going to keep ANSI on, but I don't need it on all the time, and that means I can safely get 10-plus hours on this, which is great. I feel like we should mention on the LC3 stuff just that Taylor did get a statement from Google, and, and all that he was told was that there is no support for LC3. They did not say whether it will ever support it, but they said there is no support for LC3. So, right. so these are literally just going to be AAC and... SBC. SBC. Yeah. For now, yeah, we we really don't know if this will in a month when Android 13 is out get an update or not. Like it they Google won't say. It is really disappointing that given Google's or Android's native LDAC yeah. support, this just doesn't have LDAC support. It's bizarre. I'm beginning to question why these came out before the Pixel 7 now, because 
If you're not going to include LDAC, LC3 is the next best thing that you could include. And if you don't have that at launch and you won't say that you're going to have that at launch, you're really impacting the number of people who will actually pay attention to these. Because if yeah. it's not going to get LC3 and the ANC is just mediocre, I'm probably going to test the fit on these and then immediately send them back. Because I, I need ANC to work. I wear these in very crowded, very loud environments. I need <laughs> ANC to work. Right. I also feel like we should mention, um, obviously, we're an Android-centric website and podcast, but that there is no Pixel Buds app on iOS. I feel like we should mention that. Yeah, that's uh, worth mentioning. It's not really. I I, just nobody's, like, you know, if you're... Nobody's buying this if they have an iPhone. I agree. Like, they're buying AirPods. But I figured, you know, Taylor mentions it in his review. I think that Can we, we also... Just... I, t- I went to a coffee shop yesterday with mm-hmm. my wife, and we were, we were sitting down, and this couple was sitting talking, and as, as with any couple interaction which if anybody listening, I'm sure you can appreciate. After the conversation ends, you settle down, you go quiet, and you take out your phones and you start doing stuff on your phone. Both people were using Pixel 6s. And I was like shocked. Yeah. And I was like, I need to ask <laughs> these people why they bought this phone. But I, 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 had a, I had a squirming baby in my hands at the time, so I didn't. But it was like the first time ever that I've seen two people in the same, you know, who presumably liked each other, uh, with Pixel 6s. So, yeah, anyway, I, I just wanted to mention that. I do a lot of people watching slash phone watching when I'm at the parks, and I'm surprised at the number of, like, older Pixels, but also newer Pixels, since that camera bar is very easy to recognize, even at a distance. So they're out there. They're not plentiful yet, but they are out there. That, I mean, it does reinforce the success Google's had in rebranding its Pixels, right? Like, they have... The Pixel 6s, the 6a, the 7s we know follow the same design language. It is a very, especially from the back, which you know most phones just look like an iPhone from the back. This is a very recognizable design. So kudos to them. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But I, I do want to just finish up on the Pixel Bud stuff. So uh, obviously, like wireless charging, the case is great. It's still the same sort of egg shape that debuted with the Pixel Buds in 2020. I mean, IPX4 water resistance, so not as good as some of the higher end models, but like you can safely work out in here. Although like, again, because of how much they stick out from my ears, I don't actually think these are going to stay in my ears when I do a hard workout. I'm, I'm still, I haven't had time to do a hard workout with this or go for a run, but I'm concerned about that. So these are probably not great workout earbuds. The oh multipoint support. So multipoint is actually it's baked in from the, from the beginning. It's fantastic. It works so well. I don't have a lot of earbuds that have really robust multipoint support. This multipoint for anybody who doesn't know means you can connect it to two devices at once and it will dynamically shift between them. So you can pair it to a phone and a computer and you can go back and forth and it'll play from whichever source you're currently using. It works super well. So I'm really impressed with that. Call quality Again, we're in like the 6.5 to 7 out of 10 range here. Definitely not as good as what you'll get on the Jabra Elite 7 Pro. Not quite as good as what you get on the Galaxy Buds Pro, but still okay. I had no, nobody complained to me that I was incomprehensible when I made phone calls with it. So your mileage may vary. It probably still depends on your network connection. You sound much more down on these than Taylor was. I gotta yeah. be honest. I, you, I think I had extremely high expectations okay. for this. Yeah, you're you're like, very particular about your earbuds. High. Yeah. I'm also like, I just want to say the like first and foremost, 
I just want my earbuds to sound really good. Yeah. And these are, again, pretty good, but they by no means blew me away. And I was hoping, you know, like that pixel argument of like the sum is, what, what's that expression? Like it's it's more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Yes. And like, I, I really do think that this does cohere into a really solid product. But when you compare other $200 products out there, I think I was just expecting more. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm getting that. I'm hoping over time with software updates, these will turn into my go-to pair of earbuds. I think if the fit and the comfort were like immediately there and I was like, oh my God, these are just as comfortable as the original uh, Pixel Buds, I would be in and I would be sold, but they're not. So that's the caveat. That's what you're saying that has me the least sold on these is because like you mentioned that you, you're not sure they'll work well in like a workout. Like I work from home, obviously. I don't really use headphones at my desk unless we're on a call or something like right now. But generally speaking, I just use the speakers that are on my desk. I use headphones when I'm at the gym or on a run or on a walk or, you know, what like I, I use them in an active sense. And if like you're concerned, like, oh, these might not stay in. And also when they do stay in, they're not super comfortable. Like, that's almost that's like a deal breaker almost. Yeah, I was about to say like. you you've yeah. said three things so far about these buds <laughs> that are making me seriously regret pre-ordering them. But at the same time, I am going to take these. I'm going to see whether or not all three of those stick, and then see whether or not they actually fit in smaller ears. Because if they don't fit well in yours, either they're going to fit perfectly for me, or they're not going to fit at all. So here's the thing, right? When I reviewed the Pixel Buds in 2020. They were immediately my favorite pair of earbuds. And then the connectivity problems started hitting. And everybody, after a couple of months, basically abandoned them. And Google abandoned the product and couldn't fix it. And eventually, it just soured people to to this product. And then they released the A-Series. And it was a fantastic entry-level $99 earbud that didn't really do much. It just hit the broad strokes really well. These ones so far have no connectivity problems. So that's a check mark in its favor. But the competition is so intense right now in the earbud space. And with the Galaxy Buds 2 Pro coming out, even though they might be rumored to be $230, something tells me those are actually going to be a better product. So I'm going to revisit this. I promise you, I will have a longer term opinion of these on the show. But yeah, I mean, these are like, I would say like a solid seven and a half out of 10 for me right now. Like not even close to the nine out of 10 that Taylor had, but I'm happy that he had such a good experience with them because if you're not as scrupulous on like the specific stuff and the specific earbud features as I am, then maybe you'll get more out of this. So, because they do everything that you need a, a high-end pair of earbuds to do. Okay, uh, let us know what you think of the Pixel Buds Pro podcast at androidpolice.com. We'd love to hear from you. I just want to end my segment talking about the Pixel 6a for like two seconds. I've been using this as my daily driver for the last few days. This is a fantastic little phone. Even though the 60 hertz display still bothers me at times, everything else about this, including the camera, right? I'm the biggest critic. I need my camera to work reliably. I have two kids. You know, I, I don't have a lot of patience. I just want to take good photos. This camera is incredible for the price. Performance is uniformly excellent. The screen is good. It's the perfect size. The fact that my son 
kicked my phone into the bathtub while I was filling it up with water last night and I didn't have to worry that it was dead is like super big bonus. And the only issue is that it doesn't have wireless charging, which is annoying, but not a deal breaker. So Ryan gave that phone a nine out of 10. I'm also giving it a nine out of 10. I think it's an amazing, amazing investment if you are looking for a phone under $500. How's the screen been for you? Because Ryan was not a fan. Yeah. So the way that I have a critical ear for earbuds, Ryan has a critical eye for screens. Yeah. I don't. Like, I think it's a fine screen. It does have some aux, as- aux axis off, oh my God, off axis pink shift, uh, but it's not as severe as some other OLED displays. And I am generally happy with its brightness. I took it out in the sun yesterday and it's still pretty readable. It's like, it's still at its max in the bright sun. So I'm not like, it didn't blow me away, but like the screen is fine. You don't really think about it. after. This isn't a Pixel 2XL situation, right? Like, no, no, not even close. It's, (laughs) it's a mid range, like Samsung has a better display on the A53 5G, but literally everything else about that phone is inferior. That's what, yeah, that's what I got from the reviews. I I wanted to say Ryan also has a, a really good camera comparison up on the site that I really sold me on the the strength of the the camera on the 6A. So I would recommend anyone on the fence between like the 6 and the the 6A go look at that if if you're worried about the camera. I'm so excited to take this phone to the parks after work today if I can get in anywhere. Yeah, and kudos to him for doing it on a broken ankle. Yeah. Um he, he he did it. He he took a couple of extra days, but he did it and I'm I'm very grateful he did because it's a really comprehensive comparison. All right, I have spoken about my hardware, so let's move on and talk a little bit about some software and developer stuff, Will. Sure. Do we want to start with, with cookies, or do we want to start with uh Yeah, I'm story? hungry. Let's talk, let's talk cookies. Sure. This doesn't have to be long, because there is not a ton of, of news about this necessarily, but, but the big thing here is that Google is now saying that it doesn't plan to uh, phase out third-party cookies from Chrome until like the second half of... 2024 which is i think god like the third delay this has gotten basically it's not the first delay i know that much it's definitely not the first delay they can't do it until they have a feasible well-working replacement and we still don't have that (laughs) well i mean that's kind of the um the history of this is that there was flock right i guess that's how you would pronounce it i don't i guess i've never said it oh yeah flock Um, federated learning of cohorts and that failed abandoned that no one thought it would work basically no one wanted to get on board and so now they have the privacy sandbox, which is using um, topics, which is a whole thing to get that. I mean, we could spend the whole podcast talking about topics. We, we won't. But basically, they feel like they need more time to continue testing this stuff. So they are going to keep going through the rest of this year and the rest of 2023. So there won't be any further development on this till 2024, if I'm following this week's news correctly. Late 2024. So yes originally the support for cookies was supposed to end by early 2022 then it was pushed back to 2023 so now again 2024 they've gotten rid of flock they've replaced it with topics and this privacy sandbox thing but like really this is google just acquiescing over and over again to on, on both sides one to its advertisers who need these cookies or a way to track users across websites And it needs to also try to meet the standards of the regulatory bodies that are scrutinizing every move Google makes. And this delay was actually done 
with the UK's privacy watchdog, which is looking at this very closely, and Google worked in accordance with them. So it's not surprising that this got pushed back. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets pushed back again after 2024. But like, remember when everybody was saying how cookies was going to be dead by like 2020? It's just that's not going to happen. Like, this is cookies have been the backbone of internet advertising for 25 years, and it's not going to change until they have a robust replacement that allows advertisers to track people without necessarily tracking their personal information. I mean, that's about it for cookies. I think these Play Store changes are even bigger and certainly will actually affect people like in the coming months. Our coverage of it really dives deep into exactly what's going on here. But I think the biggest changes are some uh, tweaks to how full screen ads are going to be in apps. So this is huge. So I guess actually let's break this down on months because I think September 30th is really the day to watch on that day. Google will implement two changes to dev policies on the Play Store, which is one, apps and games can no longer present full screen ads at unexpected times where they interfere with interactions. So that's, you know, first loads, that's during active gameplay, that's while scrolling through content. And then two, apps and games have to have uh, easily and directly accessible methods for managing or canceling subscriptions. So you have to be able to make it easy for someone to, to cancel a subscription that they signed up for. Those are the biggest changes. There's a lot of them and we can get into everything, but those are the biggest two. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the full screen ad changes yeah, first. It's huge. Well, some of Android's biggest criticisms are around Play Store monetization and specifically around the fact that like a lot of people who use Android don't want to spend money. So how do you monetize apps, especially games? Well, you show these really annoying pop-up ads um, that They're are like countdowns often- and yeah, you have to like watch a fake video for 30 seconds before you find the little X in the corner, right? If the X shows up at all. If the X shows up, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so walk us through some of these changes that are starting on September 30th. Yeah, so apps and games cannot show, like, it it cannot interfere with first load, so that's, like, right when you open the app. It can't happen during active gameplay, so, like, you're in the middle of a level in Candy Crush, and suddenly you get a full-screen ad with a 30-second countdown or something, and it can't happen while scrolling through content. But these full-screen ads can happen if they are considered opt-in so that would be you're watching an ad to earn content or in-game currency and it also does not apply to streaming services so like hulu can still show you an ad while you know like in the middle of binging the bear or something binging the bear the bear is good i've heard a lot of good things about the bear uh, the bear's good watch the bear but yeah those are kind of the big ones for for ads um so obviously it's not the death of full screen ads in game, but it is a huge improvement, especially on, you know, a lot of these games are probably being played by kids and anything to kind of make that a little bit better for when you hand a tablet to a child like that's that's a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, that manipulative interaction is not going to disappear, but at least there's a little bit more oversight over it. Obviously, the question is, these are very manipulative ways of, of getting people to click on ads. What will happen in those apps to make up for the revenue lost? Developers and advertisers are going to definitely come up with alternatives here. Well, I mean, it's a cat and mouse. I bet you can lean sure. into the exceptions. You can lean into like, oh, in between every level now, there's a 30 second ad because you're not interrupting gameplay at that time or you really ramp up the 
you have to watch a 30 second ad to unlock this currency and you need the currency to to play the game like i could see that happening. yeah i was gonna say for the mobile game that i play it's if you want extra lives you and or you want extra spins at the free prize wheel right you'll watch an ad and i'm like so long as that's there i'm fine i'm fine however many times you want to let me hit that button so i can ignore 30 seconds of ad and then get something free the ad is there, but it is easy for me to purposefully not look at it, and then I can get back to my content. There are ways of doing ads in games that players will willingly click on the ability to watch the ad, and you will still get your ad revenue. Right. And it's kind of the same for subscriptions, where how many times have you opened, have you downloaded an app from the Play Store, and it's like, oh, uh, here's a free trial. Just hit accept, and we're going to make the no thanks button really small if it's there at all. And also, <laughs> this is a $40 a month subscription, but we're not going to say that. And so, like, requiring developers to make it clear, no matter how you signed up for the subscription, how to get out of paying $40 a month, like, that's big. Right. Yeah. These aren't the only things I want to I want to quickly. Those are the just kind of the two big ones, but um, there's a bunch of other stuff in this. On August 31st, two new policies will go into effect. This targets health misinformation and impersonation. The former is cut and dry. It's you you can't have apps that have mis- misleading health claims that contradict existing medical uh, consensuses or cause harm to users. This has been an issue since the pandemic started. It's kind of Google strengthening its policy on this impersonation it's the same thing this has always kind of existed but it's it's boosting it so you can't rip off an icon from google maps and you know put like one small change on it and call it maps navigation g or something you know what i mean like you can't you can't do that stuff yeah i love that the impersonation examples they gave they're pretty minor but like they do happen all the time oh yeah oh yeah. i remember right after wordle got released and Google started taking down Wordle clones. And then after a while, just they didn't even stop doing it anymore. And now if you search Wordle, there are just like a thousand Wordle clones that have nothing to do with New York Times. It's just ridiculous. Like, I mean, that's kind of separate, but it's still impersonation. Yeah. Or more um, more, more like it's like Google Docs notes, something like right, that. Right, right. I, I love that. Google. One of their examples is Google Plus and then Google Plus Shareify, whatever that is. And I, I just love the person in 2022 being like, you know what I should download is a, a dead social network that I don't <laughs> think is even on the Play Store. That's but I, I be love that that's joke. their example. Yeah, it has to be. I hope I, it is. I would Please tell us it is. <laughs> so there's a couple other things really quick. There was a bunch of, of noise about how this stuff would affect apps with special permissions. So there was concern about VPNs and specifically um, ad blocking with VPNs. It was kind of a lot of noise. Basically, from what I understand is that this comes down to that VPN services that are rerouting traffic to either collect user data or earn money through advertising will be banned. That's kind of a sub subgroup of VPNs. Like I've I've seen noise, especially I think a friend of the show Michelle brought up that this could affect DuckDuckGo. I believe they have an app tracking protection service that blocks trackers, but ironically, it could technically be rerouting traffic, and so it it could affect that. Um, we'll have to wait to see. That's supposed to go into effect on on July thirty first, so that's three days away as we're recording this. Right. And then uh, there's also an alarm permission that is is stricter now, and it's meant to stop apps from using alarm permissions to go around low power modes because alarms are able to do that and so, so that they go off. But uh, 
you know, whatever game that's sending you a notification and is using, you know, the alarm bypass to do that is not an alarm. So that's sneaky. That's it is. That's super sneaky, man. It is. Like, come on. Be better. That'll be on. Uh, or sorry, uh, change that. VPNs are November 1st. Alarms are July 31st. I had that reversed. And then there's some stuff about uh, stalkerware. It sounds menacing, but this is really about apps that monitor like the location of your kids. They have to yeah. be like specifically labeled. And then there's a family's self-certified ads SDK program, which is also a bunch of new ads or uh, rules about um, ads in apps or games targeting children. So there's a bunch of stuff here that I think will be really important. One of them is the flag secure mode, this idea that if your app has sensitive data and the developer has flagged that it does, for example, your bank account or your password manager, that flag secure mode prevents screenshots and it from being shared on secondary displays. Like if you mirror that phone to a TV or a smart display, it will not actually show the, the details of that screen when it's being mirrored. But there have been so many ways around this. And it is interesting that Google is making it so much more explicit now to be like, you absolutely cannot make it possible to take a screenshot. I mean, obviously, if you have a second phone, you can take a photo of that. But I think this is a really important privacy feature that is that has been just way too easy to bypass in the past. You know, there are other tools that allow you to capture that screen. Most of the time, the flag secure mode works and you can't take a photo of your bank account for or a screenshot of your bank account. But like there are too many examples where you could. This is making it a little bit less likely that if you have an accessibility flag, you'll be able to bypass this, etc. Also, the ability to unsubscribe from something inside the app, just a very small thing, right? And most apps that allow you to subscribe let you unsubscribe in the app already, but like... Not all of them. Not all of them. And yeah. it's absurd that you may have to make a phone call or go to a website in order to unsubscribe for something that they let you subscribe to in the app itself. It can still require you to go to a website, but it has to have a link to that website in the app like that you can easily click on and like know where you're going. So it is definitely a big improvement on that front. That's fair. But also like I'm assuming it'll take you to the subscription if I, you link I believe to it's that. Supposed to. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Now you can do that in iOS too. Yeah. Netflix allows you to or Apple made it so that Netflix and other companies can link out to their subscription portal so you don't they don't have to pay the 30% fee if you want to subscribe to it. That's new too. So like lots of little changes happening in the two big app stores. All right. Well, this is a, I, I think a read Cody's summary on the site. If you're still a bit confused, he goes into much more detail. These are changes that are happening. They're staggering, right? Some of them are July, some of them are September, some of them are November, but uh, all of them are going to be to your benefit if you use apps in the Play Store. All right, let's talk quickly about this editorial that you wrote, Will, called It's the Time for the Era of Big Smartwatches. Give us the rundown of what you mean, why you think it's the era of big smartwatches, and maybe Ara can disabuse you of that notion. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I feel like um, Ara <laughs> might have said this was my worst take. Um, no, no, I did not say that. You're right, That Errol was said that. Errol. <laughs> Errol said that. Just said I was wrong. Um, I, I, yeah, no, you're... Uh, okay explain your premise and then we can fight mm. sure most current 
smartwatches are running on either, you know, I, I, they're running on usually a Snapdragon Wear 4100 processor. Uh, I, I guess Samsung would be the exception here, but they're mostly running on like similar hardware that is pretty dated. And they're also all using batteries that range between 300 and 400 milliamps. There is one exception to this right now. The TicWatch Pro 3 Ultra has a massive 577 milliamp hour battery. Uh, and because of that, it's still running on the 4100 that has barely gotten to smartwatches to a day of battery life. This thing hits like three. Qualcomm well, announced. Well, part of that is the hybrid screen too, right? No, that is without. That is not counting. Uh, sorry, Matt's review specifically says that he was getting like beyond two days without the screen, like not okay. bringing the screen into it. So Qualcomm has announced their next processor, which is the God. It's a it's a mouthful. Snapdragon W5 Plus Gen 1, which is a insane leap. We talked about it a little bit on the show, but it's an insane leap. It's going from a 12 nanometer node to a four nanometer node. It's smaller. It's more power efficient. It's more powerful. They're saying a 50 percent gain in battery life for all wearables, but specifically for any wearable with like a 600 milliamp hour battery, you're looking at like double, like straight up, just like double the, the length. How I see it is that we're going to enter the phase of big smartwatches where everything starts kind of looking like that TicWatch Pro 3 Ultra, which is like super chunky and has a big screen and it can fit in a big battery. And because of that, we're going to finally start seeing smartwatches that hit three, four days of battery life. And also it's going to be a hockey puck on your wrist. That's a summary of a thousand words, but Ara can yell at me now. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't want hockey puck watches. I don't care if I have to charge it every day. I want watches that will fit my small wrist and fit it properly. Even the Galaxy Watch 4, I cannot wear the Galaxy Watch 4 with the included watch band and have it fit my wrist properly. I have to use third-party bands because that curved section at the top where the lugs connect will keep the bands from bending quickly enough in order for it to wrap around my wrist. I do not want watches that are any bigger. I do not want to wear a freaking Omnitrix. I want watches that are small. And we have waited so long for efficient chips that will actually allow us to get small wearables that can last for one or two days. I don't need my watch to last a week. I do think I'm going to take it off at least once a day. Sure. I do think it's more likely than on the smartphone side of things that small smartwatches stick around largely because unlike if it's a big smartphone, you can just be like, oh, we'll just use two hands. You can't you can't do that with wrists and people have smaller wrists. But I do think to a certain extent that we're going to watch the smartwatch kind of go the same way the smartphone did, which is that like people are drawn to big things and big gadgets and big displays and promises of week-long battery life. I'm not even saying necessarily that this is what I want as a consumer. I just think that this is where we're going to go. Like where we are the, not the going back go. to the 80s and those insanely big watches. Well, big watches no. have been in forever. Doing this research, I was like, I, I've known, at, at least for men, big watches have been in for a while. And I found out that apparently... Yeah, for men! Yeah, no, well, now small watches are in for men again. That's what GQ taught me this week. Um, but yeah, on the tech side of things, like I think if people are, are, you know, the, the galaxy watch five pro, uh, which we're going to see in a couple weeks at, at unpacked, um, it's, it looks massive in those leaked renders. Uh, the, the Apple watch is rumored to be getting a rugged big version with a big battery this fall that, that will, you know, 
last a few days and also be huge on your wrist. I just think that like it's possible that in a couple more years we see sizes come back down. But I think for now, the trend is going to kind of be here is a big, stupid thing on your wrist that will that you don't need to charge. Congrats. You can use sleep tracking, assuming you can fall asleep uh, with the big thing on your wrist. With this big yeah. honking thing on. Like, that's the other thing. Like, all these watches have had sleep tracking for a little while. Right. I was only able to start using sleep tracking on the Samsung Galaxy, uh, the Galaxy Watch Act, or sorry, the, yeah, Galaxy Watch Active Their names two? suck. Their names are so The bad. names suck. And then the Galaxy Watch 4, because those have been the only two that have been small enough that I can comfortably fall asleep with them on my wrist in bed. Yeah. So, big, big watches, especially if they're doing it so that way, oh, I can actually, my battery will last long enough to get through a full day and then that night, are counterintuitive. So please, guys, no. Efficiency over raw power and bulk. I just want to back up Will here for a second, mainly because like this was my argument I forced him to look into. <laughs> but I also want to just like clarify. I, I, I know it sounds counterintuitive that a more efficient chip would lead to bigger watches. But what I think is going to happen is the ability to put a more efficient chip in such... I keep saying efficient chip, and it sounds like fish and chips, which makes me hungry. But um, a more efficient chip inside Mobvoi fossil smartwatches, right? The ones that are not sold by Google or, or Samsung. So first of all, fossil, right? This is a company that owns every single fashion brand you can imagine, from Michael Kors to Diesel to Scoggin, right? Like the trend over the last few years has been to go bigger. I've seen it. It's happened. And that has been because they are adhering to fashion you know, sensibilities, but also because the bigger the battery, the longer the battery life. And they've been hampered by poor software support just by the fact that you have to make them super thick. I think the ability here to maybe make the watches a little bit bigger without necessarily making them thicker is going to be because you don't have as much surface area that you need to dissipate heat through, I think is also going to be something that we, we're going to see. I'm, I'm not talking about like pancakes on your wrist, but like, and I'm also not talking about like super oversized, like 52 millimeter watches. I'm talking about like 48 millimeters, maybe, you know, up from 46 that we're seeing in current flagships from Samsung and whatnot. And I also don't think that it'll preclude the release of smaller watches, right? I don't think the 38 and 40 millimeter watches are going to disappear. But we also have been hearing about, and this is in your piece too, Apple is thinking and might be releasing an Apple Watch Pro later this year that has a bigger display. And I think the bigger the display, the more smartphone-like you can get with it. And I'm not saying bring smartphone apps to your wrist. I'm not suggesting Wear OS becomes another replacement for your smartphone. But I do think the ability to see more on your wrist, the the ability to have a thinner watch and the ability for that thinner, bigger watch to last longer is extremely tantalizing to companies like Mobvoi and Fossil Group that are trying to differentiate in a world where the Galaxy Watch 5 and the Pixel Watch are gonna be released and they're gonna be slightly smaller. And like the fashion brands really have few choices. They can't compete on features because they're releasing Google software and it's not going to be as good as it is on the Pixel Watch. 
So what else can they do? They can iterate on hardware. And now they have a much more capable four nanometer chip that runs cooler, that lets them put a more efficient set of cores, plus a much more powerful coprocessor, plus more RAM, plus better connectivity. You have more space inside the bigger watch for LTE and 5G. You have the ability to have more robust Bluetooth. I'm just thinking overall, this is where we're gonna be moving. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. And generally, that has been the trend over the years, right? We balk at 4.6-inch phones, and then we balk at 5, and then 5.5, and, and then 6. And now we've just kind of settled. And the Zenfone 9 at, what is it, 4? Exactly. I was going to say, that, inches, that's a 5.9-inch. Right? Like, that's considered yeah. a tiny little phone these days. Yeah. And that's small now. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, think you, I think you nailed it, Will, and I think you're right. Um, but who knows? We could be, could be proven wrong. You're both wrong. Well, Ara, you just want Ara, us to be wrong. Yeah, Ara, you want just, us to be wrong. I'm not saying this is I, I good. I am desperate for y'all to be wrong because <laughs> I, I, I love smartwatches. I love testing smartwatches. I love wearing the different sizes and seeing what works and what doesn't. And I don't want them all to be huge again. Like I love and I miss my TicWatch Pro 3, but I do not want to go back to wearing a huge hulking thing. I want a TicWatch Pro that is the size of a Galaxy Watch 4 and has that hybrid screen so it still gets the efficiency. Well, Asus, we may get it yet. Asus is going to make the Zen Watch and that'll be the only small, five years from now, that'll be the only small smartwatch. <laughs> okay. Um, in, in the interest of time, I want to give Ara yep. eight minutes to talk about Chromebook and Chrome OS features. Oh, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, we went really long on my segment. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm sorry. But uh, let's talk about what Chromebooks are getting later this year and why they're a big deal. Okay, well, I'm going to start with the smallest one first, which is Google Photos integration with Chromebook wallpapers. I mean, everybody remembers being able to set photo slideshows as their desktop background on Windows back in the 90s and early aughts. And Chromebooks are finally getting that ability to through Google Photos. If you're asking why the heck hasn't this been here forever, I don't know either, but here it is. The bigger thing is we are going to be getting a video editor on Chromebooks. Chromebooks have most of the apps that you need, whether through an Android app or a web app or a Linux app, if it's something really intense. But video editors on Chromebooks, there are a couple of them. Most of them are web-based and most of them aren't terribly quick because they're designed for Chromebooks that may or may not have a lot of power. Google Photos is going to be bringing a video editor to everybody, but it starts on Chrome OS this fall. And I'm very happy. So just to be sp yeah. specific here, we're talking about the web version, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So this is not some app that they're adding to like they're, this. This is not the, the Android app that they're like augmenting with a video feature that, that they're allowing to run on Chrome OS. This is the web-based Google Photos. Because I think it, like part of it is like, what's powering it? Is it cloud powered? Is it going to be, you, know, you say like it's, it's going to be- Actually, no, this might be, I think this is either the web app or the Android app. Well, it has, the to, be this of, is it has to be one or the other. Then I think this is the Android right? app for Chrome OS. Right. Because it's the wrong layout for it to be the web. Okay, so that looks like it's true. In that case, is this going to be only available or only usable on more powerful Chromebooks? Are they doing anything in the cloud to make this run faster? Like, we don't really know that yet. We just know that it's coming to Chrome OS first. And that's kind of weird, right? Why would they do that if the real potential market here is on phones? Well, 
For Chromebooks, uh, I think they're testing it on Chromebooks because it's a larger screen and they can test the UI a little bit more because if it's on a phone, then everything's tiny when it comes to like editing. But also it's because this is, Google knows that this is somewhere that Chromebooks have struggled for years and years and years. And granted, we're going to get a more professional version of this at some point from LumaFusion, but Google is using Google Photos in order to give us a version that will work on Chromebooks with a concrete deadline like this is going to happen between now and the end of the year. And I, I assume it'll be a lot simpler than the LumaFusion version that eventually hits. It Chrome. looks like it from the, it from the couple like of screenshots, yeah. It looks yeah, more like, like a we, modern movie maker style thing. Not, yeah, I don't mean that as yeah. a diss. I mean, like, it, it is anyone can use yeah. this. You don't need to know Premiere Pro to, to use this. Whereas, like, uh, Luma... Uh, that might be closer. Fusion yeah. is a multilinear video. Exactly. Yeah. Going yeah. To exactly. To, yeah. You're going to want to to you're going to be using a timeline and yeah. I miss timeline editing. No, I don't. Um, Just install but, Premiere. That's that's what I do. That's what I have. Nope. No. No. <laughs> I I don't work at the TV station anymore. I don't have to cut B-roll down. I'm good. But it's nice to see that Chromebooks are going to be getting a simple version, which is what the vast majority of Chromebooks users want. And since it's going to be done through Google Photos, you're going to be able to use cloud-based sources as well as local-based sources, mm-hmm. which is nice. Because if it's cloud-based, then and obviously anything that's on the web, this will be able to just render everything on the web so it won't be taxing your compu- uh, your Chromebook as much, which is nice. Yeah, but also it plugs into your Google Photos archive, which means that you can yes. go back 10 years and find the video file you uploaded and edit it, and then save a copy just like you can photos. That makes it so much easier, right? Most people who use Google Photos only use Google Photos, right? And right now, editing a video means downloading it, opening it in a third-party app, or just like just not doing anything to the video at all. I mean, there is like very basic editing. I was going to say, currently in Google Photos, you can at least trim videos down, but you can't do much else. So yeah, it'll be nice to be able to actually like legitimately like change because uh, like for photos you can do all the like retouching and lighting and all that. For video, you can't really do that right now. Video, your options are cut it down and that's it. I don't even remember if we have time speed or the ability to re- uh, reverse the video. But this will be good for the every person who just wants to. Okay, I want to take a clip from this and clip from this and clip from this and put them together for like a birthday montage or something. Whereas I'm still waiting ardently and patiently for LumaFusion because I'm tired of people saying Chromebooks don't have a video editor that's actually worth anything, and LumaFusion will absolutely be worth every penny when it arrives. Do we know how much it'll cost? Uh, I can't remember. I want to say 20 bucks, but that I might be just making that up. Or is it on a subscription? I I thought Luma, I think LumaFusion's on a subscription. They all are now. Yeah, they're all Thanks they're Adobe. All subscriptions. It it's absolutely Adobe's fault. I mean, okay, so it's 30 bucks in the App Store. Okay. But oh, sorry, 30 bucks Canadian. That doesn't mean anything to most people. Uh that's that's 20 bucks, I think, or 25. But there might be a subscription version. LumaFusion is a one-time purchase from the App Store, according to their support site. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, so that's good. if it's, but yeah, then it will it will be worth every penny yeah. for anybody who wants to seriously edit on Chromebooks and Android. Since if you buy it on the App Store, you get it on your phone and you get it on your tablet and you get it on your Chromebook. Right. My computer is utterly failing on me today. We've got uh, light and dark themes. We've got PDF editing. Yes. 
and virtual the PDF editing, I'm kind of surprised that we're getting this ahead of Windows, but at the same time, I'm just happy that it's here. I feel like it got here because I finally found a PDF signer that actually was usable. The free, <laughs> the free version was usable, easy to use, and free. So, of course, this is when Chrome OS is going to be like, oh, hey, you're going to be able to just do this natively and you're not going to have to worry about plugins for Google Drive anymore. Thank you. It makes life so much easier. Uh, but what everybody else is excited about is the light and the dark themes because light and dark theme on Chrome, we've had it on Android for, God, almost five years now, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, what was it? Oreo? I mean, it was. Yeah. It was. I think so? Yeah, no. I think it was Android Oreo. 10. Oh, really? Was it? Yeah, 10. Was it 10? Oh, so like three well, years now? It's been three years. It feels like a long time. But we've had it on phones what feels like forever now. And for Chromebooks, light and dark mode, because we haven't had the toggle for it for Chromebooks, you had to go in and enable it as a Chrome flag for so long. The ability to have the auto light theme and auto dark theme and hopefully have this toggle for it be on by default instead of having to go enable it on every single Chromebook that you ever use is going to be so thankful for me, especially because a lot of websites... The light and the dark theme will follow whatever the system is set as, and you can't change that unless you change the light dark theme on your Chromebook. It's like that for the Android Police website. Right. So I get my dark theme back on all my devices. Yay! So I'm I'm super happy about that, but I'm that's just because I'm dark mode all day, every day. Like turn off the lights and just give me the info in as dim a format as you can, because my eyes hurt all the time. Well, I don't know how it feels to be wrong all the time, Ara, but uh, you know, I'm a contrarian. Must, must be hard. I'm used to it. I mean, I I know I'm a contrarian, and I know that I have a tendency to pick things that most people don't, which is unfortunate because that means that the things that I like vanish all the time. Like Google Plus. You shut up. I love that one. I'm <laughs> or, always no. Google, I will what defend was it? Google Plus. Google Plus social network. Um, Whatever you call it, it's where I got noticed and how I got hired and how I have this job. So I will forever be grateful to that platform. Yeah, that's... Because that was literally the only place I wrote technology stuff before I got hired by AC. No, it it, it, was, it was a very good long-form platform that nobody read. So glad somebody read yeah. it. Glad Phil found you there. That's all I'm saying. He was... Phil uh, and Jerry. Had, I miss you, Jerry. We gotta had, get him he had on a here. Good, he had a good eye. Okay, um, let's end... This week's, I, I mean, that was supposed to be 45 minutes and it ended up being an hour. So um, thanks for sticking Sorry. with us. If you uh, if you did, we'd love to hear uh, what you thought of the show. Send us some feedback at podcast at androidpolice.com. If you can, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever they accept reviews, we will take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps the show get noticed. And we are just a little bitty show compared to some of the other big Android podcasts out there. So all of your support is very, very meaningful. Thank you. Uh, you can find Ara at Wagco. You can find Will at Will underscore Saddleberg. You can find me at Journey Dan. You can find all of us at Android Police. Next week, I don't know if we'll actually record a show because I'm out, Will's out, and I think it's just going to be very busy. So It's going to be very, very busy. We're going to be prepping for Samsung the following week. It might. We, we will try our best, but no guarantees. But we do have two shows that were recorded was two weeks ago now with the awesome sauce show go listen to that that was super fun and yeah we will we will be back when we're back thank you again for listening and have a great week bye 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 bye